assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. I am running on empty. I am running on fumes. I've spent the last 24 hours running from a hurricane, but alas, I have endured. We are here, but I needed some assistance this week, more than usual. So I called in the cavalry, as usual, each and every week, the Garth Algar to my Wayne Campbell from NXT, Mr. Vic Joseph. Vic, how are you? I'm just glad to see that you're okay and your hair is still perfect. Let me tell you this. I haven't done my hair since Monday. Well, that doesn't surprise me because I've been in those boats as well. This do is literally hurricane proof. I tested it in one of those boots. I also know how, um, how can I put this right? How hard it was for you to travel this week because of things going on in the Tampa region with the weather. But I was happy that I could insist in making you smile for a two and a half minute period while you were on a plane. When I got a text message from Vic Joseph at 30,000 feet that was just a screenshot of the Bullet Boys, Smooth Up Inya, our best friend anthem, I could not help but crack a smile. But Vic, we got a lot to get to, a lot of people to bring into this party. Oh, yeah. You know them, you hear them all the time. Alex and Dan, our producers, they'll help chiming in. And our very, very special guest this week to help us break down history like it did not happen. You may know him from Hot 97. You've seen him on all of the kickoff shows in WWE. He's a... I'm sorry, I'm going to throw up in my mouth. He's a former 24-7 champion. Hold on, guys. I need, I'm going to be sick. Let's get that Peter get Rosenberg. doggy bag on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know how many guests you guys went through before you ended up at me. Or like what producer forced Corey into doing this. But either way, I'm happy to be here. I am here of my own free will. I am excited. This will be fun. Whatever is functioning of my brain today, I'm putting it all into this episode of ATB. We did something similar several weeks back where we reimagined history. Vic and I like to talk about how one of the oldest traditions in the business is after the show, jump in the car, on the way to the next town, we rebook the territory. Uh, We're reimagining some of the largest events in sports entertainment history. We did it with the Montreal Screwjob several weeks back. Uh, If you haven't checked that one out, head back. It's in the archives. It's worth a listen. It's fun, if nothing else. So today we're going to give it another shot. We're going to try it again. We are upon the anniversary of one of arguably the biggest event in sports entertainment history beyond WWE, but its effects, its aftershocks still being felt to this very day, the formation of the new world order. And Alex, I know you've done some extensive research to catch us all up to speed. If you don't know about the NWO, chances are you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You've got a lot more important research to do. But it's such a massive event. We figured it would be fun to reimagine the business as a whole had the NWO never happened the way it did, particularly with Hulk Hogan 
being the third man. Peter, I want to start with you. It was July 7th, 1996, the infamous villainous turn for the immortal Hulk Hogan. Where were you when it happened? What was going through your mind? You're talking about the formation of the New World Organization, brother? Um, (laughs) I, well, first of all, I, I won't dwell on this, but I was not fully engaged at this point. Like I was a senior in high school or I was on my, yeah, I was about to start my senior year of high school. And it was probably the most checked out of wrestling that I ever was in my life, which of course is terrible in retrospect and upsets me because I missed live some of the greatest events ever. But in the years um, of the last 20 years, the amount that I've relived this particular moment, specifically the Bash at the Beach, 96, and that moment with Hogan and every sort of little detail of it, it's one of those things I think as a wrestling fan that like as hyped as it is, it, it can't be overhyped. You know, even when the even when there's, I mean, listen, everyone's in the Hall of Fame twice. We see the black and the white over and over and over again. They're trotted out all the time. To me, you really can't do any overkill on this because it's just like the coolest moment ever potentially in wrestling. Uh, that That's how I will always see it. And if you break down that moment, which we can, everything about it's crazy. I mean, even Bobby Heenan almost unintentionally giving it Spoiled away. It. <laughs> you know, right. Bobby, my number one icon in all of the business almost blew that moment. But it's just every little bit of it to me is exciting and fascinating. And if it's of interest to you as a listener to hear from the people who were there on the ground, who know what happened behind the scenes on the screen, all things NWO, all things WCW. Got to give a little love to our friend, Eric Bischoff, WWE hall of famer, his podcast, 83 weeks, Eric created it. Eric was the mastermind behind the NWO. It was his brainchild. And he will give you the facts as they happen, not rumors, not innuendos. So check out 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff if you want actual history. Again, we are doing the complete opposite. We're just reliving our childhood, some incredible moments, and thinking about what the business, what our lives might have looked like had they happened differently. Vic, same question to you. What was going through your mind when Hulk Hogan was revealed as the third man? Well, look, man. My birthday is coming up. So for my birthday present, my mother ordered me the Great American Bash to watch with my friends. And when Hogan did that, the turn, my birthday was ruined. Now, my birthday is around two events. One you don't care about is LeBron James leaving for the first time, which I'm sure Rosenberg will smile about. The decision happened on my birthday and Hogan turning on everybody in the sports entertainment world. That's how I remember my childhood now is Hulk Hogan dropping the leg. So my week was ruined because of this. However, my love for the business only grew because of what happened because of it. And you guys have made a lot of great points about it still being felt today. We just had Hogan on the podcast two months ago around WrestleMania. What was he wearing? NWO, you know, white and black and, and they're celebrating a whole week's worth. So it's amazing to think what that one moment in time did. But as you've already mentioned, it's also amazing to think what could have been if it had not happened? Well, again, not to keep harping on Eric Bischoff, but Eric has been very open and honest that had Hogan not been the guy, the only other option that seemed feasible at the time would have been Sting. Sting was the WCW guy, the franchise player. It would have been huge. Do you Mm -hmm. think it would have been anywhere near as big 
had Sting been the third man rather than Hogan? I look at it this way, and I'd love to get people's thoughts on this. If Sting would have came out, that means it would have been the NWO with Sting up against which hero? You would have probably had Hulk Hogan. And I think at that period in time, everyone was just sick and tired of red and yellow and saying prayers and eating vitamins. And they were over that version of who Hulk Hogan was because it was the same version five years, five years before that. And the list goes on. So if Sting would have been the one that came out and you would have had the hero being the red and yellow Hulk Hogan, I think it's a buzz. I think it's cool. I don't think it has the same effect. I don't think it's even close to having the same effect if Sting is the third man. And if you have red and yellow Hogan at that point, I can't even fathom what I would have thought as a fan because it would have been, I've, I've seen this for a decade. I don't need this again. I know how this movie's end is going to end. I've seen it. So I think the only option was Hulk Hogan in hindsight. Couldn't have been Peter, anybody Peter, else. Would you agree that if Hogan weren't the third man, that the Monday Night Wars may not have happened? Yeah, I think I think Vic took the words right from my mouth. It's Hulk. The, here's the interesting part of Hulk Hogan's story, and and believe me, Hulk will be quick to have you forget about this. It was not working. Okay, you're like, right. You're right. It was. It wasn't. Ostomania was not running wild, brother. Like it was, and and for people who don't know what I'm referencing, I mean that's literally a thing that happened. I mean, on the, on the first episode of Nitro, they literally were at the the, the Mall of America, in Minneapolis, where they had a Postomania restaurant. It had gotten to a point of so out of control with the red and yellow Hogan, and the people who were my age, you know, I was literally probably the target demo age wise, early forties. I'm 41. I'm. T- I'll, I'll be no, 42. No, 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 I meant at the time. I was an. Age I was. Group. I was 41, turning 42. Way to throw yourself under the bus. Graduate makes me 66, turning 67. <laughs> now, I look terrific. You but, look great. But so, it, he. Everyone who was growing up and they loved him when they were eight. Now at 13, they'd seen it so many times. So to Vic's point, if it had been Sting, don't get me wrong, that would have been cool because Sting obviously was super loved by the WCW crowd. But then it likely would have meant Hogan teaming up with Savage. And it would have been like sort of this mega powers again. That's where I'm guessing they would have gone. It's just yeah. redoing the mega powers, which would, was never going to be done as well as already as it was already done. When you're talking about the age that you were when all this stuff happened, I 96, I would have been about 12 years old, 13 years old. Vic, roughly around the same age. A few years younger. Was it? I said roughly. This is why. This is why you will I'm always be number you. two. I'm Not my number two, just number two. <laughs> oh, great. Was it because, was there significance to our generation because it was sort of our first taste? Yes, it was in the, in the sports entertainment industry, but it, it was rebellion. We were that age. We were teenagers. We weren't, we, for the first time, we weren't into what we were being fed. And it was sort of, oh, wait, these guys are, when, when Scott Hall showed up on Nitro, it was big. It was huge. It had everybody talking, got everybody buzzing. Then Nash showed up and it genuinely piqued everybody's curiosity and the internet wasn't as easily available as it is today. Cause I don't think it would have happened again. It was, that's why, why it was so magical, but to a whole generation of, of young wrestling fans, it was like, Ooh, I'm not supposed to like these guys, but they're cool. Yeah. And think about it. That's what sets the tone for basically the future. I mean, in many ways, the WWE at the time, you know, while there were great things that happened in 93, 94, 95, even into 96, until the Steve Austin 
character, the anti-hero happened, WWE was kind of lost for who the leader was. Obviously, history will tell you a different story, and I'm the world's biggest Bret Hart fan. While Bret and Sean were awesome for the fans that were there, in terms of having huge global impact that goes beyond hardcore wrestling fans, they didn't find it again until they found Steve Austin and The Rock, these anti-heroes. Because you're right, uh, Graves, like they were... Fans were done with being fed the traditional good guy characters. And man, once Hogan drops the leg, you went from having like this little, there was a little bit of a fire going with, with Hall and Nash. And when Hogan drops the leg, it becomes an inferno of this new anti-hero type deal. Graves, you bring up a good point about age because you're looking at 96, 97. That's really where even entertainment was going. South Park was huge, was just starting to become huge. People wanted that rebellious nature in in that, wait a minute, you can't say that. And Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, you can't put that on TV. And and the music that was coming out at that time, that it was just, that was, it embodied Americana at, at that point when Hogan dropped the leg. If Sting comes out and puts somebody in, you know, the Scorpion Deathlock. Okay, cool. But it, it embodied everything. And back to Rosenberg's point, the heroes at the time, you went from Hogan, and someone correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm looking at Dan and Alex. If when Hogan left, the next big baby face was Lex Luger. Am I wrong with that? That was the next guy given the ball after Hogan left. That was Lex Express days, roughly, right? Yeah, the slamming of Yokozuna. It was the same. Yeah. It was the same stuff. Correct. They tried to just continue on with Lex Luger and Vic. You made a really good point that I didn't even really think about. It really was everything in culture. And when Hogan was at the top in 1987, 88, 89, culture was 80s pop music. Mm-hmm. Super Cindy Lauper running around. Yeah. Fam- super family oriented sitcoms. Like that's right. what culture was. You get to the mid nineties. It's, it's married with children. It's, it's South park. Uh, it's a gangster rap on the East Co- on the West coast. It's yep. the mob deep and Wu Tang and super dark hip hop on the East coast post grunge getting into like that next era of of hard rock that's super dark and then ended up sort of defining the sound later of WWE as well. But you're right. It really was throughout culture that no one was looking for the cheesy thing anymore. They weren't. And that brings us to, you know, Eric was on the the podcast two months ago and it didn't click to me till now when he talked about, man, guys, it was the perfect storm coming together. And it truly was on that July night when Hogan dropped the leg. I completely agree with you. Completely agree. It totally changed the future of our industry as a whole. I think we can all agree. WCW doesn't beat Monday Night Raw for 83 weeks without Hulk Hogan being the third man. But let's let's get a little deeper into the weeds. Let's get a little lost in the what ifs and the what could have beens. Vic, off the top of your head, what happens if Sting is the third man in the NWO? Well, we've kind of talked about where WCW goes, what doesn't happen. I kind of want to talk about what doesn't happen for Sting because Sting was always the flat top, the flashy colors, RoboCop, whatever you want to throw out. When NWO's created, Sting gets a new lease on life, just like Hulk Hogan got a new lease on life. And I don't know if, if you guys agree with me here. Sting wasn't seen for how long. He turned his back on a nitro to the hard cam business talk where the crowd couldn't see him which was unheard of right and left 
And then you saw this mysterious figure, and that just added another layer to NWO and WCW's television product and Nitro at the time, that intrigue. He's showing up with a crow. He's got different face paint. He's dropping down from the rafters. He's swinging a bat. He's, he is what WCW needed. He was the new Hogan that everyone believed in, that everyone rallied around. It gave Sting another lease on life. He became the savior of WCW, which led to that match at Starcade. If it had Sting to, joins it, NWO, he ne- it that wouldn't never have, happens. It had to change Sting, though, because traditional to. Sting would have never been the hero. He would have never been accepted right. as the savior of WCW. I think that's your, your point. I'm agreeing that's with you. 100% is he doesn't, we don't get those moments. I remember I used to just watch WCW and crawl in the room when my brother was watching just to see if the guy in the rafters was coming out. I thought it was one of the coolest things. We don't get that. Doesn't happen. And, and to that point, I mean, think about it. Sting was blonde um beach sting surfer sting whatever you want to call that sting he was he was the same as hogan you know it would have gone the same path as hogan right right and instead now you have the nwo which is red hot and now you have the anti-hero which is the the word we're going to keep using around here and now you've got another megastar as a result of hulk hogan being the third man because you need somebody that you believe is on the same level the same caliber as hulk hogan Sting was that guy. While we're on this subject of people who may not have happened, selfishly, as I, I knew we were going to have this conversation today, I was thinking, what about Goldberg? I'm, I'm jumping ahead a, a few years, but does Goldberg catch fire the way he does without the NWO? Now, I get the, the way that Goldberg was promoted, the, the 170 whatever wins in a row, the undefeated streak. He was cool. And, and, and mind you, WWE is in full swing at this time. There is Stone Cold, but Goldberg comes along. Does Goldberg become... American pop culture to the extent that he does if he isn't the guy to run through the NWO and beat Hulk Hogan in the Georgia Dome. I think it's, again, a perfect storm, and it's lightning in a bottle, man, because you had this guy that you could hear the crowd getting behind, and you're like, wow, Goldberg, and it means so much. And you have the sting, the food we just talked about, the rivalry, and once sting goes to the wayside because that only has so much longevity, they caught him at the right time in the right moment. And to your point, no, I don't I don't think you get Goldberg. I, I don't think you have Goldberg at all. We certainly don't have the Goldberg we see now. I, I don't think he is pop culture. I really don't. I truly do not believe that. I think you could argue that these things were separate and that it, it the NWO existing helped Goldberg. But at the same time, you almost have to give credit. And by the way, Goldberg, I love Goldberg. I mean, come on. I'm named Oh, Rosen. agreed. I, 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 I wasn't still am. The, 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 well, that's the thing. I'm not. As time's gone on, I've, I think he's cool, but I just love that there was a dude named Goldberg who was that much of a badass, right? And I think that always would have been interesting. So this dude coming out of nowhere with this Jewish name, but he's this gigantic ex-football player who, who cannot be beaten. I think that story deserves credit in and of itself. You know, this idea of Goldberg's going to be a guy who we say has won a gazillion matches straight. I do think that idea independently would have been something. Would it have been the same thing without that NWO hanging out over his head? No, probably not. I don't, right. I don't think it would have been the same, but I think Goldberg still would have had a, a big moment. I, and I agree with you. I, it's, I think it's sort of a chicken or the egg sort of scenario because Goldberg, I think, undeniably would have been a star. But we talked about it when we reimagined had the Montreal screw job never happened. Without Mr. McMahon, would Stone Cold have hit that level? Yes, Stone Cold was a star. Yes, people dug Stone Cold, but Batman without the Joker 
doesn't work. It's, it's balance. And without Hogan being that guy, that, that ultimate goal for Goldberg to topple, I don't know if Goldberg, that, that's what, to me, propelled Goldberg into the stratosphere and into, into the public conscience, whereas people who didn't really care about pro wrestling were into Goldberg. But isn't it weird because you also almost feel, though, that by the time Goldberg got to the top of the mountain, it was already becoming less interesting than it was. It's almost like the mere existence of the NWO is what did him the favor because I don't, no one thinks of the actual matches between Hogan and Goldberg as being that iconic. The actual sure, match. Sure, sure. I, I agree. I would agree with that. It's almost like just the existence alone that they were there as you're simultaneously. And let's be real too. I mean, I know, I'm sorry, Eric Bischoff, I know friend of your show, but like, let's be honest, those shows for, for an entire show had a lot of weak spots, right? So oh, had, no doubt about it. No they, doubt they about had, it. Yeah. They had to try. I mean, there are episodes where if you like have it on, like I'll throw on a, an old episode of Nitro and I would be like, yo, are they playing that damn music again? The NWO music would hit nine times during yeah. the show because they had nothing else going. You'd come out with some cruiserweights and then it would be basically cruiserweights followed by the NWO theme song for three hours. Right. It got to the point where the NWO themselves had multiple theme songs. There was like the top tier guys who had the, the iconic music we still know. And then Buff kind of had his own thing. And it, there was like there was way too much NWO. And that, of course, was in the latter days. So let's try to focus on, on just more of the ripple effect. We, we mentioned the Montreal Screwjob. Peter, you talked about being the world's biggest Bret Hart fan. The Montreal Screwjob does happen. Bret does end up in WCW. What does it look like if there's no Hulk Hogan in the NWO? I mean, it's so hard to talk about that, right? Because everyone sort of talks about Bret in WCW, including Bret, with the same feeling, which is like one of regret. Like this, this was not as good. It wasn't really good, period. You know? Sure, sure. Um, and is there a world in which Bret could have been involved in the early, you know, because Brett doesn't get there until after November, what, December 97 when he shows up or whatever. Right. Yeah, and yeah. this is July 96. So in another in another world where Brett could have gotten there sooner and been part of the formation of NWO, could that have reshaped the way Brett's trajectory in WCW went? I, yeah, I, I would say I would say that sort of I would put that in the same exact category as Sting. Had Sting been the guy, would it have been, uh, uh, I don't want to use the term flash in the pan, it would have created a rumble, but I don't know if it would have been of the same magnitude and the same caliber. Also, can WCW even afford to pay Bret Hart if there is no NWO? I mean, business was down. Eric Bischoff's been on the record very openly that the company was in trouble. And all of a sudden, to Vic's point, they catch lightning in a bottle. Now they're raking in bucks, hand over fist. Now there's income and merchandise and it's really setting the world on fire, which now allows Eric to open the checkbook and say, hey, Brett, if you're not happy there, I'm going to throw more money at you than you've ever seen. How, but think about how fascinating that is because I never thought about it that way. It, July, I just thought about it as we were talking. July, <laughs> These are fun. <laughs> a, full, a full year later, right? So July 96, they make that, they crush it for a year straight, which gets you to summer 97 which if you've watched any of the Brett documentaries or read his book, you know, that's when the negotiations really start picking up with, with WCW. So they had a year of making money before they could even talk about offering this big money to Brett. The big money Brett was getting offered from WCW is such an integral part of him, le of him ending up having his- That's the number one reason. Let's, right. I think he's been on the record. He's, I, I never even dreamed of making that much money. 
And, and, and it's the reason that Vince McMahon ended up being able to be like, Hey, you know what? We're never going to be able to come close to that. We thought we were going to give you this 25 year deal, whatever, just, just go ahead and leave. If WCW never starts making the money, you have to think WWE continues to make it work with Bret Hart. And literally, history is completely different then. Right. It, it, the butterfly effect, man. So if Bret Hart stays around, then do we have the rise of, of this guy and that guy and the other thing? You know, it, it's it's really, really mind-blowing to think about. Dan, I see you you, you yeah. got something on your mind. So if Hogan's not the third man, that also changes Starcade 97. So let's say Bret comes in at the same time. They maybe bring him in in a more interesting way than just having him kind of shoehorned into this Hogan and Sting match. Because Hogan and Sting isn't happening if Hogan wasn't the third man to begin with. Sure. And that is the worst. That is one of the worst introductions of a character of all time. You have a megastar come over and just play the middleman in another story. It's, it's, it blows my mind. And it was story. doomed. As soon as that happened, it was doomed. I mean, as you said earlier, I don't think anything good comes from Bret Hart going to WCW. Doesn't matter what time, what era, what year, what month, nothing good happens. There's also a small window here, guys, where if we really want to kind of rebook and, and fantasy look at this, where Bret actually could have been the third man. Mania 12, where Sean beats uh, him for the WWE Championship, the Iron Man match. Brett goes away for six months after that match before coming back in October of 96. And that's where apparently the 20-year contract was offered. And really, that's what kept Brett around for that another year before the screw job, anyways. That summer of 96 is when all of this NWO stuff goes down. There is a world there where, where if Eric Bischoff could have mustered up the money to, to persuade Brett to come over at that point in time after he lost the WWE championship to Shawn Michaels at, at WrestleMania 12, where he could have come in and been the third guy to Hall and Nash as the outsiders at Bash 96. And you have to, and you, and you have to think about it like this too. That's a great point. If, if it had been him and, and the Hogan thing had not yet happened, the way that Brett would be received in WCW would have been such a bigger deal. Completely different. It, it, by the time Brett went there, it was like so many people had already come over. It had lost a lot of steam. WWE yes. guys going to WCW had already lost steam. So a year earlier, he shows up. He's the third member. You're right. Maybe it does change Brett's history in WCW. And sure, in WWE, it wasn't like Brett and, and Hall and Nash were really connected, you know, in, in any sort of real entangled storylines. But it would have made sense as like, oh, so Hall and Nash come over. They are the quote unquote WWE guys. And oh, they got the, the, the top name WWE guy to come along with them to invade WCW. So there is a connection there that could have worked. And that's what would it have been believed. as big as Hogan. I don't I don't know. But that's why that's why Hall and Nash worked on such a grand scale was because. A, uh, as I mentioned before, the internet wasn't like it is today where everything, contract status, et cetera, et cetera, is readily available at your fingertips. So there was still an int intrigue and mystery. Oh my God, are these WWE guys coming to take over WCW? It was believable. Everybody bought in that, man, did, did Mr. McMahon send these guys down here to destroy us? Who knows? It, it, it's really an interesting way to look at things. But while we're talking about Brett coming to WCW, Vic, what about superstars who have went the other way? as a result of the NWO. Well, that's a great point because if you look at all these fantasy things about him going there and him coming here, you wouldn't have had then the radicals showing up in WWE. You wouldn't have had Chris Jericho showing up in WWE with a chip on his shoulder that wanting to prove because there were no spots. WWE was filling up in those mid-card guys. They were getting forgotten. So they had no choice but to jump ship in their own right. And when they did, 
man, you talk about a tie turner because that was the first time that a group of WCW guys were coming to WWE. And you can throw Big Show in on that as well when he showed up at St. Valentine's Day Massacre and cuts a hole through the ring and launches Austin through the cage. It was a wild time. And without the formation of the NWO, man, that stuff doesn't happen. Or it certainly doesn't happen on that sort of scale, I should say. Sure, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare and, and put the radicals and the NWO anywhere near the same uh, no, I'm level not, as yeah, far I'm as effect saying, yeah. on the business. But you're right, because of the lack of opportunity for those guys, for Jericho, Saturn, the radicals, they they wanted to work, they wanted a chance, so they came to WWE, and as we saw, we got some massive stars as a result. Um, so and you, a yeah, style right. change and a, and, a, and a pretty big style change to the wrestling of WWE as a result of them getting there. And sure, who's yeah. acceptable as a champion, who was credible as a big time star, totally changed with those guys. No, you're right. And, and Eric Bischoff talks right. all the time about how proud he is of introducing a lot of these different styles, the luchadors, the Japanese style into Nitro just to shake things up, just to be different. Now, all of a sudden you have some guys, you know, Dean Malenko, who's one of the best in-ring performers in the world now under the bright lights of WWE. And a lot of fans, I would probably consider myself in close to that same category going, I never really knew how good these guys were. I didn't know how much fun this style of wrestling could be. I didn't know. I thought everybody had to be six foot eight, 300 pounds, you know, even though it's funny it's, because if you thought about it, you'd go, except for when I was really little, my favorite wrestler was Dynamite Kid, who's the reason that all of these dudes wrestled this way in the first place. You know, it's, it's, all, <laughs> it's all sort of a cycle. It's all cyclical. <laughs> the butterfly really effect continues. Let's go further on down the line. Hulk Hogan eventually finds his way back to WWE. Does that happen at all without the NWO? If... Hulk Hogan is not the third man, and it is Sting. Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania, it stops running in 96 and 97. As we already talked about, yellow and red, no one cared. So there was no second act for Hogan in WWE. He might get back in Hall of Fame and maybe sure, come back in for a spurt, but it's not the same because when he came back and I'm going to inject the poison, and it, like that was a whole thing, man, because of Hogan being that third man. I don't think his return is as cool. I don't think we get some of those moments. And we got some iconic moments, no pun intended, to the T-shirt that, you know, Roseburg's wearing, which I'm sure That's he's going to talk happening. about. That's it's not happening. happening. Agreed. Right. Agreed. That that just does not happen. And, and just think of the fallout from the moment, in case you're listening to this as a podcast and you can't see Peter's T-shirt, it's the icon versus icon, WrestleMania 18, Hulk Hogan, stare down with The Rock. If you've ever watched WWE since then, it's in our opening. It is in every package, every great moments package. Truly one of the most, if not, if not the most iconic camera shot, I would say, in WWE. I would say I'd put it in the top three. Perfect time to talk about it, too, because with the with the WWE Universe coming back into the building starting in a couple of weeks in Texas, this to me is one of the best crowd moments of all time. It's a moment that's made by the fans and the way that the fans changed their mind throughout that match about who they were even rooting that's for. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, how does Hogan now listen, if you have Hogan, tell it, he'll tell you. And I'm sure he probably told you guys this story. And I know he's told it to, he, he would tell you if you just ran into him on an elevator at the Hyatt, he already had the idea to want to turn after he lost to Warrior, he says at WrestleMania. He told us. It. He told us that same story. He wanted to be Triple Hollywood H. Hulk Hogan, Triple H, as he referred to it. Which, by the way, <laughs> but you know what? Let's let's dissect that on, on another episode. But 
you know, as and as much as I'm giving Hogan a little bit of uh, a little bit of guff right here, you also just have to give him so much credit because the I don't know what he would have done if he doesn't turn. And the way he did it, you could argue that the the red and yellow Hulk Hogan was the most beloved fan favorite of all time. And you could argue that black and white NWO Hulk Hogan was the most hated villain in wrestling history, that he was both, which is mind blowing when you think about it. Yeah, you're right, because it wasn't that, oh, it's cool just to see, uh, you know, look at like Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, beloved good guy, hero. People dug him, started to, you know, wear off a little bit. Now he's this this monster champion badass, but now it's like, oh, it's cool. Now we get to see him. He's he's cool. I, I love watching Roman do what he does. You're Hogan right. got garbage Hogan, thrown at him. You're right. Hogan was, was a, a legitimate hero, a larger-than-life superhero to an entire generation of, of fans. And also the number one pariah in the business, which is unbelievable. You watch his promo after the turn. He doesn't just dip his toe into being a heel. He goes full blown. He says, all this garbage in the ring you see, that's the fans out there. He talks about Bischoff, like, oh, without me, he'd be selling meat out of a truck in Minneapolis. Like he goes for it. And now to be fair, to be fair and like not rewrite history, it didn't That's what we're doing, that. Peter. That's literally that's what, what we're here to do. We're that's literally rewriting history. history. Yeah, it's <laughs> the rewriting the thing. thing. So if you want to rewrite history, we can say it this way, that the fans never came to find NWO Hogan as cool. Of course, that's not true. They did come to, after several months, there's a reason those NWO black and white shirts sold like crazy, because they did become good. And people started to love them, not because the character changed, but they were just so cool. Sure. But at first... They were legitimately hated. Garbage rained down upon them, booed and disgusted. And I would say off both is amazing. Hulk. Hulk was legitimately hated because I would argue that for Holland Nash to this very day, they're just too cool. You can't hate Holland Nash. You hated them because they were aligned with Hogan. You wanted to see them fail because of who their boss was. But you didn't hate Scott Hall or Kevin Nash. They were just these two big badass, just cool, said cool stuff, had great matches. Like there was very, there were very few reasons to legitimately hate them. Let me ask you a question. This is tough. And I know I've been crushing Hogan today, but is the reason Hogan was able to be so hated was not only the fact that he was super beloved, but if we're being honest with ourselves, Hulk Hogan is not the naturally cool guy Right, that right. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the actual people are like they pulled it off authentically Hogan. And it worked so well. He was he was intentionally look how cool I am. But it wasn't cool. You were just such a jerk. And that's what made people. So it's angry. like going to a, a rager of a party and you're with your friends and you're having fun and you're living one way. And then your best friend's dad shows up. And you're just kind of like, ah, it's, you know what, that's kind of, that, I mean, I don't mean that in an insulting way. I'm saying that's kind of the comparison where it's like, oh, those two dudes are awesome. I love those guys, but, oh, man. Like, like they were really sincerely sort of, and by the way, sheer numbers make sense. I don't, you guys, uh, you have your producers here. What's the age difference between Hogan and Hall and Nash? My guess is it's close to a decade, right? Yes, and Hogan was probably early 40s at the time. I would say Hall and Nash probably early, early 30s, 30s, if I'm guessing. Right? Yeah, yeah, so I would say within a decade. So it does make sense, though, that he would come off as sort of like the annoying older guy. Or, who's like, or, hey, I'm rock and roll too, brothers. Yeah, look at my Oakleys and my bandana. 
right, right, right. Keep a shimmy with the you skateboard. Know. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's exactly. a word. There's a word you use, man, when you talk about Bobby Lashley as WWE champion. He legitimizes that title. Hall and Nash legitimized the coolness of Hulk Hogan. Hogan's just done whatever he did, and then Hall and Nash were just like, yep. That's that's actually, that's very true, because we hang with your friends, and somebody brings along a new friend, and it's not until somebody gives them the blessing that you're like, okay, that dude can come to my house, too. Well, and also, it's it's what all it's what wrestling is really all about. I mean, when you think about it, how often do we use the language, or at least people who love the business use the language, giving the rub? It was both ways. Hall and Nash needed Hogan to seem gigantic and impactful, and and Hogan needed Hall and Nash to be cool to a new generation. Absolutely. I want to bring it back to WrestleMania 18 and the, and the iconic moment. As you mentioned, Peter, mid-match, the, the crowd turned in, in one of the most organic ways, and it was I, I still get goosebumps watching it. I remember actually being in the, in the performance center when I was still in ring. It was, it was part of our regular viewing because it was just such a – Best case scenario, master class in feeling the feeling the crowd and reacting accordingly. And beyond the stare down, the match was incredible. But during the match, Hogan all of a sudden becomes a favorite again. Yeah. Not because it was planned that way, not because anyone expected that to happen, but it was just such a surreal moment. And it was so cool. And to see Hogan start puffing his cheeks and point at Rock and, and do the, the five moves of doom it led to Hulk Hogan having what we would probably argue is a third act in his career back oh, in WWE where he began. The underrated, a really underrated third act, by the way, in which amazingly, well, there's two things that are amazing about it. Number one, that he was still able to wrestle with all that mileage on his body. Number two, when you actually look at how old he was back then, he wasn't as old, you know, like especially as a guy now who's in my early 40s. I'm like, he wasn't even that old yet. He was in his mid 40s. But that last run was amazing. And you're right. It's completely set off by that moment. Now, they rushed to get to this Icon versus Icon WrestleMania 18 match at the Sky Dome. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of buildup. It was a couple of very basic episodes of Raw in which Hogan and Rock came face to face. They made the match. Boom, let's do it. So it's this is not, when you think about the stare down, this is not Hogan and Andre at WrestleMania three, where they have a, a, a lifetime of history leading up to this moment. This had been a quick build where it sounds, seems like they were like, yo, we got to get Hogan and rock on this bill. Let's make it happen. I agree with you. But Peter, would you would you say it was also one of the first times where we legitimately got to see bigger than Hulk Hogan versus The Rock? It was WCW versus WWE in the flesh, two true icons, the faces of both. Was that it? No, I, I don't think so. To no? me, I think it's a fully WWE moment. I think it's about the past of WWE versus the present and okay. future of WWE. I, I would agree and, with that. Okay, And that feeling that kicked in when the crowd changed, and Vic, you tell me if you agree, when that crowd changed, to me, that was just full nostalgia kicking in. And they were like, yeah. I can't root against Hulk Hogan. Right. <laughs> I spent the last 10 years doing exactly that, but no more. I can't anymore. He's home. <laughs> You call it the, uh, it's the passing of the torch, so to speak, is what they wanted to have, was was that passing of the torch moment between them. But yeah, when you sit back and watch that match, it's it definitely a roller coaster, you know, of emotions. And it's kind of halfway through, is it kind of, I remember why I loved Hulk Hogan. Because at that point, you're now, as a child, you were a Hogan fan. Then you went against Hogan, and well, maybe I am with Hogan because I want to be rebellious, but now I'm a little bit older and... Damn, I remember why I love the red and yellow. I remember saying my prayers, and then when he does the you, it's like, oh, 
I'm back. Full-fledged Hulk Hogan. Let's go. So it was, it was a wild ride. Isn't it wild, though, that so if I remember it correctly, after that happens and, and Hogan hits the boot and goes for the leg drop, the entire crowd is rooting for Hulk Hogan. But by the time the rock kicks out and ends up in the position to win and hits the final rock bottom, the crowd turns back and cheers for the rock at the end. Right, right. And it wasn't until the, the post-match Hogan selling up like a broken man, you know, offering his hand. and the, the, But that moment really just solidified it for, for absolutely everybody. And then he goes on afterwards. There's more. There's, there's Brock Lesnar. There's Shawn Michaels. Sure. There's Randy Orton. There's all these moments of Hogan that all happened after that that probably never would have happened. Which is a great point. Because they want to get really lost in the weeds. Yes. Is Brock the next big thing if he doesn't F5 Hulk, who's bleeding profusely and smear Hogan's blood across his chest? That's, that's what legitimized Brock Lesnar. And I mean, that beating the Rock. There were a litany of, of moments. But to your point, Peter, if that last run in ring in WWE for red and yellow Hulk Hogan doesn't happen, what stars maybe don't we have now? And, and, and could that of red and yellow moment happen if there'd never been the black and white in the middle? So if he had just stayed in WCW, Thunder in Paradise, Hogan. That's what I was trying to think, Graves. I was like, Thunderstruck, that's not right. Thunderdome, that ain't it. And I was like, what is it? It's the award-winning Thunderdome, Vic Joseph. And oh, the Thunder in Paradise, Hogan, that guy, if he had just sat around in WCW, had a, had, had a story with this guy, a rivalry with this guy, blah, 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 and then he comes back, let's say, in 2000, 2001 to WWE, would, would people have really felt the same way? Or would it I don't have been think- kind of like sympathy at that point? Because he would have maybe just floundered for the last decade in WCW. And it goes back to what we talked about. If he's not the third man, he doesn't open the eyes of a whole new generation of fans that then buy into Hulk Hogan of what he was. And then there's, and maybe this is getting too sentimental. Then there's the older brother, the dad going, man, I remember when he was beating Iron Sheik. And we're talking about that. And then you start talking about it. And then you start to learn about who he is. And then it comes full effect with the rock moment. And then it's the passing of the torch. And then to what Graves is talking about, he he go, he teams with Edge. Doesn't he win the tag team titles with Edge? Sure he does. Right after that, that helps out Edge. Kurt Angle, you know, all these face-to-faces. He has Brock Lesnar, as we mentioned. I remember him bleeding and Brock wiping the blood all over his body as Graves talked about. You don't have these. You don't have him winning the WWE Championship again, beating uh, Triple H, I believe, then losing to The Undertaker. Like, you don't have any of these things that happen. You don't have his motorcycle debacle against The Undertaker. There's if so many he doesn't join the NWO. <laughs> None of this Mr. America become a star. Oh, but let's get into Mr. America, uh, shall Mr. we? Well, we, we talked to Hulk about Mr. America, and he said that's one of his biggest regrets is that Mr. America, that, that he felt it was, he took the blame for it, said it was unprofessional. It's a whole other, go back and listen to Hulk Hogan in the archives. Wow, he tells yeah, the story much, much better than I ever could. I want to look at the, the overall effect on the business because we're sitting here talking about this all these years later. We were young kids. We have found our way in various ways, shapes, and forms into the sports entertainment industry because we were inspired, because we loved it enough, and we were foolish enough to think, hey, we could actually do something like this for a living. Think about the in-ring competitors, the talent, all the people who were inspired from during the, the Monday Night War era, just how they act and how they portray themselves. You got a lot, you have a, a whole generation of people who grew up wanting to be the cool bad guy or the anti-hero. 
And you see that on your screen now. We don't have, like in the 80s, you hear a lot of the veterans talk about like nuclear heat or white heat, where if you were a bad guy, your job was to be as despised as possible. You did not care about signing autographs. You were a bad guy 24-7, 365. Since the NWO, there aren't that many guys, particularly off the top of my head, I can't point to and go, that guy's hated. People hate that guy in our business. It just doesn't happen anymore because it was such a, a widespread effect and it was there were so many people watching. It was, you know, the number one rated shows on television and the Monday Night Wars and it brought all these new fans in. That's what people ex- accepted as great wrestling or great sports entertainment. And I still think that imprint's left today. Well, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone who sort of evoked the same level of passion for sports entertainment as the NWO did. And also let's be real. What about from a cool factor standpoint? Yep. You took the word out of my mouth. And and, I, and you and I have talked about this many times, you know, wanting wrestling, uh, sp- wanting sports entertainment to be not just cool to fans, to hardcore fans, but to being something that, Everyone in other industries is chasing, clamoring to be a part of, because, man, how could you not be talking about it? I don't know if anyone has ever pushed it that much into the cool part of the limelight as the NWO. It became legitimate, genuine pop culture. It was no longer just a segment of the fans. And it goes back to Hogan, because if Hogan is not the third man who was arguably prior to that, the only household name, I mean, oh, Ric yeah. Flair obviously was in the discussion, but not to the, the Americana level of Hulk Hogan. So Hogan comes, legitimizes that. And now, yes, now it's not lame to like wrestling. No. Prior no. to the NWO, prior to Stone Cold Steve Austin, I would go to school and if I had a wrestling shirt on, it was like, oh, dork. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm a dork, but this is what I like. It well, was never cool. It- and next thing you know, six months down the line, my friends are showing up with NWO t-shirts and Austin 316 shirts and, and smoking skulls. And it's just like, whoa, this is cool now. And, and Peter, I know to, to the conversation you and I have had, it's bled over. And there are so many different connections to different industries now that we have with sports entertainment being the common threat, being the bond. Where I know I have people in the comic book industry that I'm friends with or in the music industry or you name it. And how do I know them? Wrestling. And and by the way, and what shirts and what shirts are they wearing? I mean, like I'm someone who's super into the vintage um, t-shirts of it all. The shirts that are worth the most are not my favorite. You know, like my my number one shirts were all late '80s shirts. The shirts that now get the biggest money, they're all of the era post NWO. It's all now. Of course, they're not NWO shirts themselves because WCW printed 960 billion of them, but Everything that came after that, your Undertaker shirts from that era, your Stone Cold, that's what artists like Bad Bunny are dropping Mad Doe to wear right now because it's still cool. Right, Whether right. it's jackets or shoes, it doesn't matter. The one thing that I also, as you guys were going back and forth, thinking about making it cool, making it Americana, pushing that limit, it made it cool to the fact of you didn't have to hide, you know, the fact that you're a wrestling fan. The banker was a wrestling fan. The school teacher was a wrestling fan. The CEO, the major league baseball player, the football player, all of a sudden it was cool and everyone came together because, oh, this wrestling thing is kind of actually fun. This sports entertainment thing is actually fun. It was 
that last thing to me, really when it came to this industry where it was like, I'm okay to walk into school or walk into work and say, I'm a, I'm a sports entertainer or I'm a WWE fan because everyone loved it. Everyone watched it. It brought the world together in that moment. Dennis Rodman left, took a break Boom. from an NBA finals to go hang <laughs> out and smoke a cigar with Hulk Hogan and wear an NWO shirt. Yeah. Would that ever happen? Would that ever happen today? It's it, even the story. I was watching the last dance. They covered it. It was that big that Hulk Hogan and the NWO were in the last dance, a documentary about arguably the greatest basketball team of all time. That's how big it was. And it all ties back to Hulk for me without him being the third man. I don't think Rodman would have left to go hang out and ride surfboards with Sting. And, and we, and we all can say this. I mean, everyone who works in this business at all has this experience. You're on a plane, you talk to someone, oh, what are you interested in? What do you do? Oh, actually, I was working with wrestling. What's the first thing they go? Wrestling, like uh, Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan? It's literally, the he's the Kleenex of professional wrestling. My response is always like, oh, no, no, I'm not in professional wrestling. I'm really into amateur wrestling. I go to gymnasiums and watch teenagers. What do you think when you ask that question? But yes, of course we mean <laughs> Hulk Hogan. You know, it's a really fun... There's something wrong with you. There, you know, there, there, there's a, a fun thing to this when you talk about the, the anti-hero in Austin and Hogan, and I start to think of John Cena. And, man, what if John Cena would have done the, the turn as Hogan did? But are people resenting John Cena because he never did that like Hulk yes. Hogan did? Or is John Cena forced down our throat like Hogan was? Well, well look, at, look at the Firefly Funhouse match. That It's obviously in the, in the, the, the fan psyche such that when – Oh yeah. When Cena shows up in the Firefly Funhouse at WrestleMania with an NWO shirt playing a WCW championship, oh, so it, everybody simultaneously went, Oh my God, I'm not the only one who's thought about this. Right. Because that's it's it's a very, very, very accurate parallel. John Cena, clean cut Superman, hustle, loyalty, respect, against all odds. John Cena sucks. We love Cena. Cena sucks. Polarizing, right? Hogan, I would say, wasn't even at that level of polarization yet. I mean, he might've been right. too far down the back end of it. I think Cena could have been a guy to initiate that sort of change under the right circumstances. But again, it was, it's been done before. NWO was the greatest because it was the first, not the first faction. You had the horsemen, you've had groups right. throughout the history of the business, but nobody did it to the level of the NWO where the logo was bigger than, than the superstars. And it was bigger than the logo of the company. Right, right. To where they were discussing doing NWO Nitro or making Thunder an NWO show. It was that big. To which they did entirely too much of it and named yep. pay-per-views after it and put it in the middle of the ring and borderline ruined it. But it was amazing. Have you ever heard of a faction getting that love at a time where it's like, man, these guys are so big. Uh, this is NWO sold out. You have your own pay-per-view now. You're just so you didn't have four horsemen ride together special pay-per-view event. You didn't have, but it was NWO right. that did it. That's how magical it was. Perfect it was, storm. It was absolutely enormous, and it's still being felt today in various. And it's not the matters. same without Hulk Hogan, man. I go back to it. If it's Sting, mm -mm. guys, we're running out of time. I could discuss this all day. I can't wait to get back on the road and actually have these discussions every week. I am so fired up and stoked. I'm going to run this around the table real quick. Was there anybody else at that time in the business who could have elicited the same reaction from the crowd, throwing trash, booing that Hulk Hogan did at that time? No. Simple. No.
The only one that sticks out to me potentially is is Shawn Michaels, but I don't know at that time if if it would have gotten to that point. Like, I think if we got Shawn maybe a year, like if we got 97 Shawn in that moment in 96 with, with the turn of like, hey, we really brought our click buddy with us to WCW and he's the third man, maybe. Maybe, but I don't think he, I don't think in '96 he was there yet. I just don't. That's the only name that sticks out to me. Dan, no, because I think most of these guys we had seen be heel before. Whereas Hogan, the timing was perfect. People were tired of the act. We had never seen the ultimate good guy be a bad guy. Like no, like Flair wouldn't have had the same impact because we've seen him do. You know, he's been a jerk for decades. You know, right. Hogan was never that guy. That's why he got that response. Peter Rosenberg, last word. I think I think the. Shawn Michaels call by Alex was a good one. Um, I don't think of anyone else from that era. And the only time I can think of it all time that I ever witnessed was when Andre the Giant did it. And we saw literally, you know, crowds who cheered him forever raining down garbage on him at WrestleMania 3. Without Andre the Giant, there's no Hulk Hogan to begin with. Mm. <laughs> well said. Ah, circle, baby. Crazy, crazy. This was fun. Peter, I know you just, uh, been, you've been busy in the music world. You just dropped an album. Where can the ATB faithful check that out? Uh, yeah, I dropped a, a, a compilation album with some of your favorites. Lots of great wrestling references throughout, by the way. And it's, uh, it's called Real Late. You could stream it everywhere you stream music. And check out my wrestling podcast. I had a big interview with the big dog last week, Roman Reigns. It's called Cheap Heat. You can uh, download that anywhere as well. Absolutely. Rosenberg, thank you. It's a pleasure as always, despite always. what I actually say. Thank you. Alex, Dan, thank you for everything you do. Vic, I soldiered through another week with you. Yes, you did. Have you talked oh, about man. Vic's WrestleMania uh, outfit, by the way? His day two I think we're out of time, so throw five stars. Uh, make sure you follow yeah, at yeah, After the Bell on text. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. He is at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're using Spotify, search After the Bell, hit the follow button. If you're using Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign on the ATB page, and you will never miss an episode. While you're there, throw us the ever important five star rating, leave me a review. Keep up with all your favorite shows at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, more imagination, and more WWE after the bell.